Well, to the few of us who are here, good afternoon. And to those of us who uh, are watching, uh, good afternoon to you as well. Listen, this is, as Matt said, uh, it's Easter, and we have reason to celebrate. We did not anticipate it looking like this. Um, But here we are, and as followers of Jesus, today, regardless of circumstances, is a reason to celebrate. Amen? One of these truths that we as followers of Jesus always try and hold in our minds, Matt talked about this a couple of days ago on Good Friday, is the reality that in the person of Jesus, we have someone who is both fully God and fully man. And if this is true of the person of Jesus, which we believe that it is, then it's also going to be true of the events surrounding Jesus' life. And that's certainly the case when we look into the Gospels. We see divine power at work intermixed with regular human experiences and interactions and responses to these things that Jesus was saying and doing. And yet I think when it comes to Easter, in a particularly unique way, we struggle to hold those two things in tension at times. And I think we can be forgiven for that. We as human beings, I mean, unlike some of the other events in Jesus' life, we don't have a great frame of reference for resurrection. That doesn't happen too often. And yet, we need to hold these two things together, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. I mean, the resurrection itself, Jesus brought back to life through God's power working in him. And yet, he's resurrected into a human body, a human body that has scars, no less, And it's also true of the events surrounding the resurrection. We see the fingerprints of divine power at work. There's these angelic messengers carrying the news. But then there's also profoundly human responses to that news and human interactions with Jesus um, in the days after his resurrection. And so you may be asking, you know, why is this important? Why do we need to talk about this? Well, if you were like me... (laughs) In the last year, you've felt your mortality a little bit. If you're like me in the last year, maybe in the last few days, you have lamented the fact that you don't have perfect knowledge of three months from now, or let alone, you know, three days from now. When I wrote this message this week, I was anticipating all of you who are watching being in this room. There are a few of us here, and we're grateful for that. But I was so excited to be gathered with my entire church family and was so upset that somehow I couldn't see this next lockdown coming. And so I believe that this Easter, perhaps, of all Easters, we would do well to remind ourselves that just like the rest of Jesus' life and ministry, in the resurrection, we have this beautiful collision of God's power at work with human hopes and fears and limitations. And I hope, I pray, that in that collision, in that space, we'll find hope for today. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 24. If you are watching this on a computer right now and you don't have a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to Google that passage and go there. Um, We're going to spend our whole time there this afternoon. Luke 24, starting at verse 13. But before we read, As Matt always does, I would invite us to just take a second and pause and check in with your emotions, see how you're feeling. Maybe this will be the first opportunity that you've had to do that in the last few days. And so just 
take a, a pause, take a moment of quiet, invite Jesus into that place, and then we'll read our passage. All right, Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. All right, let's pause there for a moment. Luke opens up this little narrative with that very day. He's talking about Sunday, of course. Jesus, if you remember, was crucified and buried on a Friday. He was in the grave Saturday. And then on Sunday, Luke tells us what happens uh, earlier on in chapter 24 starting at verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. And they is referring to Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome, the mother of the two brothers, James and John. So they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. What they do find is this angelic being, who has an interesting question for them. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. And so in Mark's gospel, we see that after some real confusion, this swirl of emotions, the women eventually go back and tell the disciples and others gathered there together what they've seen. And then a couple of those disciples run to the tomb, see it just as the women had said. So it's that very day. A little bit has happened this day, okay? And these two travelers on that very day are making this seven to eight mile walk to this little village called Emmaus. It's northwest of Jerusalem. And as they're walking, discussing all that's happened, they're joined by this mysterious traveler. And Luke tells us their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And lest we think that Luke's, you know, talking about it being very bright out or it's a very dusty day or something. No, there's divine power at work here some divine concealment going on. Now, we naturally ask the question, why would that be? Why wouldn't they just immediately 
be seeing that this is Jesus? And we'll return to that question, but, but just in a minute. Verse 17 tells us that after Jesus asked this question, what are you talking about? That they stood still, looking sad. As I was reading this and thinking this week, I thought of those interactions. Maybe you've had one of these. Maybe you were on either end of this interaction. You see someone that you haven't seen for quite a while, maybe at the grocery store or something, and you ask after their, their mom or their dad or, or a, 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 another family member, and all of a sudden you just see a look pass over their face, and you realize without even having to ask that, that they've lost that person and that they're still processing that. That's what I imagine is taking place here. I mean, that is what's taking place here. And then the only one of these two travelers, Cleopas, who gets named, after expressing surprise that anyone could be ignorant of what's happened in Jerusalem in these last days, he says, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. And sometimes I think in our minds when we hear prophet, we jump to the idea of you know, being able to tell the future. But in the scriptures, the primary sort of characteristic of a prophet is someone who speaks with God's authority. Jesus of Nazareth, who was this prophet, mighty in word and deed. That's the real deal, right? Not someone who just could talk a big game, but his life, the things that he did were significant, were, showed God's power and authority at work. And he was mighty in de- word and deed before God and all the people. Maybe if you've spent much time in Luke's gospel, your mind's drawn back to Luke nineteen forty-eight, where he writes, all the people were hanging on his words. And yet Cleopas says that it's this Jesus who is gone, was condemned to death and, and crucified. And then we hear about these hopes, these expectations that have been dashed. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Okay, so these men, I think we can agree, uh, have quite a swirl of emotion going on, don't they? They've, had, they've experienced the loss of a teacher and quite possibly a friend. These unmet expectations. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yet there's this sliver of hope that Cleopas mentions, right? These, these women amongst our group saw something and then some of the disciples went and saw it the same way, an empty tomb. And yet it seems to be coupled with some realism, right? This is the third day. And after all, these two travelers are on their way out of Jerusalem, aren't they? We would expect that if they had, you know, if they were anticipating something big to take place there, that they wouldn't have left. But here they are making this seven-mile walk out of Jerusalem. Okay, so you might be saying, Spencer, why on earth, why on earth is this encouraging? You know, this is Easter. <laughs> let's, let's have a little bit of hope. You might be in this room today or, or watching, maybe a follower of Jesus, maybe not, but you feel like you can relate to these two travelers. Maybe you've experienced some sort of loss in the last year, a person, a job, a dream. Yeah, maybe some of the hopes that you had were dismantled by all this turmoil. Maybe that even happened in the last few days. Maybe you just had hopes for the next four weeks that were dashed. And after all that we've been through in the last little bit, that's not insignificant, I would argue. And it may also be true that in the midst of all of that, you have seen God at work in the lives of people around you, heard them tell stories of what God's doing, but struggled to experience that yourself. 
these two travelers, they're hearing these stories that these women have told. Some of the disciples saw it the same way, but they're, they're struggling with all of this. And if you're in that position, I want you to know two things this afternoon. First is, you're in good company. Both in this community, I would argue, and also in the centuries-long line of Jesus' followers. These very first followers struggled to believe after all that they had seen and experienced. But second of all, I want you to know something else, that we don't always feel the presence of God, but that does not mean that he's distant. These two followers are sharing the grief that, that they're experiencing at the loss of Jesus, not realizing that Jesus is there walking along with them. And if you are a Jesus follower, remember his final words in Matthew's gospel. Behold, I am with you always. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, know that he might in this very moment be walking alongside you, drawing you to himself. And if, you, if that causes you to pause and wonder if maybe that's true, I would encourage you to just stop. Maybe step away from this stream for a moment if you're watching online and just pray. Say, Jesus, if you're here with me, would you show yourself to me? And so as they walk together, our two travelers as we said, are kept from seeing by divine power at work. And we pose that question, why would that be? Well, after Cleopas recounts some of these events of the last few days, Jesus then speaks again. So look back at our passage, Luke 24, look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now when we hear Jesus say, oh foolish ones, I don't think we should understand this as Jesus belittling these two travelers. Rather, I think it's, it's an expression of surprise that after all that they've been through, they're still not seeing it. And Jesus proceeds to use the scriptures, and at that point, that would be the Old Testament, right? The Bible that Jesus taught and ministered out of, proceeds to use all of the scriptures to show these followers that even in an injustice as great as what they had just witnessed, his crucifixion, God was still at work. His plans were in no way thwarted. And in fact, all of human history had been building towards that moment. And henceforward, everything that would come after would be different as a result of it. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, first of all, if God is sovereign enough to weave all of human history, to orchestrate all the prophecies of Scripture to a culmination in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus— then we can trust that he is still sovereign today, that he is still in control. And secondly, this means that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, made peace between us and God. For those who are in Christ, we can have confidence that God is fully and completely for us. We're his children, after all, adopted sons and daughters. He is for us. And I think, friends, 
That's why Jesus wanted a few minutes of divine anonymity. He wanted a few moments to articulate from start to finish what was going to be very hard for these two followers to believe that God had always intended right from the very beginning for our redemption to come through his suffering. That the Messiah, the one that they had hoped would redeem Israel, had done just that. That he'd actually made a way for the redemption of all people and he did it through his own suffering, through his own death and resurrection. And as a result, when you and I place our trust and hope in Jesus, we can have confidence that we have peace with God. J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, Having suffered in their place as their substitute to make peace for them, he now came in his risen power to bring that peace to them. And so when we put those two truths together, friends, we have a sure recipe for good news. See, if God is fully in control and he is for us, then we ought to have an undercurrent of hope that is not washed away in a year full of turmoil, loss, and confusion, that isn't shaken by one more lockdown. And, and even more beautiful, we might not be able to see it. Just like those two followers, we might be plagued with fear or doubt, but God is no less for us as a result. We who are slow of heart are still loved by God. If you are watching this at home, we are going to be taking communion in just a moment. So make sure you have elements on hand for that, bread and juice. So in part one there, we see this culmination where Jesus speaks to these two travelers as they're walking and shows them that all of the scriptures, everything that they've witnessed, was all fully within God's plan, that it all had been working towards these moments. And yet somehow they still do not recognize him. And yet that's about to change. Look back at our passage, if you would. So Luke 24, we'll start reading at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how it was known to them, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So Jesus gives these men the opportunity to practice some gospel hospitality, doesn't he? And thank God that they do. Clearly, Jesus' words are having an effect on them. 
And, and, and of course they would, right? To be shown that when things seemed the most upside down, that God was still in control and was still at work. Yeah, tell me more. Like, come, please stay with us. And Jesus agrees. And then it's when he is at a table with them and he takes bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and gives it to them that they see. If you spent much time in the Gospels, those words, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them, will feel familiar. Maybe your mind goes to places like back in Matthew where Jesus feeds this crowd miraculously. It says, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Or maybe your mind goes just what was a few days before to the Lord's Supper, what we call communion. Luke talks about it in Luke twenty-two nineteen. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, it's at that moment around the table that the disciples' eyes are opened. Luke writes, their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And I think the way that all of this happened, this progression of events, was no simple coincidence, friends. See, their minds on the road with Jesus were filled with critical, spiritual, important spiritual truths. Jesus helping them understand how all the scriptures were pointing to him and these moments that, are, that were just taking place. But it's in a profoundly human, relational moment that they actually recognize Jesus, their Lord. And then he vanishes. And I, then I think it's after that that we get what is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the scriptures. Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And isn't this what we all crave, friends? To not just fill our minds with knowledge about God, but to feel our hearts burn with love for him. And if you are here in this room or you're watching this this afternoon and you are not a Jesus follower, but you feel your heart burning, you hear Jesus speak when you read these stories in the Gospels, or maybe for the first time in a long time you recognize that you don't have the amount of control over your life that you wish that you did. You don't know what a week from now, what a month from now is going to bring. But for the first time, Maybe you recognize that that's okay and you have a peace. Friends, I, I would suggest that that's God present with you in this moment, trying to get your attention. And so I would just invite you to pray a prayer. Pray, Jesus, I don't have all the answers, but I sense that you do. I give you my life. It's that simple. And this is why, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, down through the centuries, all over the world. And until that day that Christ returns, we gather together and we take communion to remind us of these truths, to draw ourselves close to Jesus. Todd Billings says this so beautifully. Let these words minister to you. He says, The supper, the Lord's Supper, is a divinely given instrument 
for expanding and deepening our embrace of the good news. It's a gift for us in our weakness and in our sin, for we're tempted to reduce the good news to make it more manageable. So rather than losing our lives in following the crucified and risen Lord, we can remain in control of some parts of our lives. Man, the last year has kind of cleared us of that notion, hasn't it? We can be tempted to remember the cross but separate it from the resurrection, he writes, and ascension. The supper displays the good news that the crucified one has risen and has been exalted to the right hand of the Father and that dying and rising and being lifted up is the story of our own lives by the Spirit. Let me read that last bit again. And that dying and rising and being lifted up is the story of our own lives by the Spirit. I desperately wish that I was with all of you today. I know that we all wish that. Matt wishes that. That we were all present in this room. And yet, praise be to God that Jesus is present here with us. He's present with you. And that we have this potent, rich reminder of that in the Lord's Supper. And maybe you have given your life to Jesus for the first time today, in which case, run around your house, rip a piece off of a piece of bread, and find juice or something, and participate in communion with us. But now I would encourage you to take the elements and gather the bread And let's remember that when we're together, when we're apart as the body of Christ, when we're apart from Jesus, our Lord, let us remember that this bread reminds us of Christ's body broken for us. Take this bread. So too we take the cup. And this cup represents Christ's blood shed for us, securing our peace with God till he comes. Church, I love you. Sad that we're not together today, but we worship and serve a risen Lord. I don't know about you, but I feel my heart burning within me at love for him and love for all of you. Let me pray, and we're going to sing. Jesus, I thank you for this story, that after your resurrection, even with two travelers who had heard some of that news but weren't sure what to do with it, had all of these emotions going on, that you came and you walked alongside of them, and you sat down at a table with them, and you broke bread and then they saw and I imagine in that moment everything changed and so Jesus would we remember today 
that you're in control. You're on the throne. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And you're promised that you are with us always. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.